evening all. Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things on the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a review of England's performance in the international break, preview the weekend's Premier League games, plus key fixtures from wider AFL. We'll reflect on two 3-2 wins for the Mighty Glovers and finish with everyone's favourite podcast game, Spin the Wheel. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Boys, we'll start with England. Laura, what do you make of the three lines against Scotland and Ukraine? Um, well, I'll start with Scotland because I watched that game and I thought we were brilliant. And I think all over the pitch, we made it what I think is quite a good Scotland team at the minute who have been winning lots of games and are almost qualified, aren't they, for the Euros next year already, look very ordinary. Um, and there was a lot of talk, particularly on TalkSport, about there's a few rogue shouts coming out, like Billy Gilmore being better than Jude Bellingham, which I think has been well and truly nipped in the bud after Tuesday night's performance. And I'll quickly just, I'm sure we'll all want to have a word on him, but Jude Bellingham, I think, is the first player I've ever known, other than outside of your Ronaldo's and Messi's, to just be widely regarded with no negative comments whatsoever. I think everyone just sees him as the next generational talent. What a wonderful footballer he is, and thank God he's English. So that's one good thing to come out of it. I didn't watch the Ukraine game because the Yeovil game kicked off at three and the Ukraine was five o'clock. And these days, the league games at Yeovil are like 110 minutes. So by the time it finished, it was like deep into the second half. But I think a point in Poland against an emotionally charged Ukraine setup isn't the end of the world. I do think it seems like a bit of a catalyst for Southgate outers or anti-Southgaters to come and have their say because we've drawn one all to Ukraine. But where we are in the group, I think that was an absolutely fine result. Um, so no problems with that, even though I didn't watch the game. So maybe we were poor. But against Scotland, I really liked Jude Bellingham in the 10 with KP and, and Rice sat in behind him. I know people will have their, their thoughts on whether someone who isn't playing an awful lot of football should be in the team. And then that brings us on to Harry Maguire as well, who obviously had a bit of a sticky night, um, the latest in a long line for him. So, yeah, I think fine. I think we look good. I'm happy that I think England are the, are the best international team in the world, if I'm honest with you. It's going to be our time to win the tournament in the Euros next year. I haven't seen anything to take my brain away from that, take my thinking away from that. And, uh, yeah, I don't look forward to the next international break, but when it comes, I'm sure we'll be uh, back in the points. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I completely agree with um, the majority of what Laura said. Um I think the biggest thing we learn over the, especially the Ukraine game and Southgate hopefully has learned this lesson is basically how not to play um, Bellingham and Madison. And they kind of played like this dual centre mid slash left wing position. So that they like switched quite a lot and um, it didn't work, um, which is, I think it's a bit it's a bit harsh on Madison. Really, he's he started the season so well for Tottenham, and then you play him in a left wing position that he's just that's just not his position. Um, and I think what we learn actually about Jude Bellingham, or what I learned especially, is that he thrives and plays best when he's when he's sort of playing alongside two defense um, def not defensive minded midfielders, but midfielders who will give him that freedom to maraud forward. And and he was, honestly, he was class, wasn't he? And sort of levels above um, the Scottish midfield. And the Scottish midfield aren't, I mean, obviously we are levels above the like Scotland as a nation, but 
they're Scot- the Scottish midfield are quite good. They've got McGinn, McTominay, Gilmore, um, I think McGregor. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he was just head, head and shoulders above everyone. And I think what I learned most was that we probably need KP to get some minutes because because I thought he looked good against Scotland. I know it's um, yeah. the opposition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I thought he looked good, and he provided a lot a lot more balance um, to that midfield than um, well, you had Henderson play there. Um, on on Saturday, which didn't work, and I don't think will work going forward because over the course of the next twelve months, or it, will it be eight months until the next Euros, he'll be playing in Saudi Arabia and slowly but surely fading into retirement. So, um, whether or not that that means for England anyway, for England's sake, potentially KP gets a move in January and then gets some minutes ahead of the Euros, or or someone else comes in, but. Yeah, that's the that's the sort of biggest takeaway I got from the from the games was Bellingham and how best to to use him because at the minute he's up there with Kane as our best player. Yeah, I, on the midfield, I was actually really impressed with Calvin Phillips, and my thoughts before were him and Maguire shouldn't be near England squads or in maybe not squads, maybe that's a bit harsh, but not near getting game time because they're not starting for their clubs, but actually. If Bellingham's going to play 10 and not be the other sitter with Rice, there needs to be a second midfielder. And if that's not KP, then who is it? And I get that he's not getting game time at City or hasn't so far, but remember Pep sometimes takes a year with players before starting to play them too often. I know he got less than the most in, in regards to minutes last year and he's not started as if he is getting them this year, but he's going to be in Man City training for the whole season. So technically he's going to be at it. Uh, he's going to be up with the pace of, of play in regards to training. Whether he will move or not, I don't think he will. I actually think he will take this whole year thinking he can win more trophies and hopefully have the self-confidence to get into the team. And if he's going to be part of that City squad all summer, I wouldn't bank on KP not starting in the Euros, especially if Bellingham's now going to play 10. Because the only thing... Because what before these the this two week international break, I basically thought that our best eleven or our best midfield would be Declan Rice holding in the Rodri position. If you if you're if you're in a sort of in a city formation, and then you've got Foden playing in a sort of dual tens with Bellingham. That's what I thought. Are but but basically, that's wishful thinking, really, isn't it? Under Gareth Southgate, because he's a safety first manager. And he's proven that over his last, I think he's, well, over his last five years as England manager. So, basically, it's going to be Bellingham as our number 10, as our forward-thinking midfielder. And then we've got a, and maybe that's the best thing for Bellingham because he he certainly played much better against Scotland than he did against Ukraine, um, with, given the freedom. And what what I'd like to see is, Basically, Saka right, Rashford left, Kane up top and Bellingham and behind. And then you've got Rice and one other. And obviously it's looking like it will probably be KP, but that's all dependent on whether or not it gets minutes. But And then I suppose the, the only other situation um, to think about would be Maguire. Now, that was a calamity. I know, I know like it was a bit unlucky perhaps, but... You could argue that if Colwell comes on instead of him, a left-footed centre-half, a bit quicker, a little bit more mobile, he just cuts that cross out. Um, Maguire looked like, let's be honest, 
it might have been unlucky, but he looked laboured, didn't it? And and I just thought Southgate, just you're making a rod for your own back there when you're bringing Maguire on at Hampden Park. You know the Scottish fans are going to batter him. Why do that? And like, as soon as the goal goes in, I'm rubbing my hands together because I'm thinking, right, get on the memes because Twitter's going mental. And it's just, I don't know. It seems like everything he touched turns to shite at the minute, which is, it's unlucky for him. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that sort of situation moves forward as the season progresses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a saying in football, or probably in life actually, that they only boo the good players. Like when Yeovil played Man United and Rooney, I think he played centre mid that day, everyone boos him. And it's a common thing at football grounds, isn't it? That if there's a big player on the other team, he always gets booed. And it's almost like Harry Maguire against Scotland. I don't know if this has been happening at Man United, but that every time he touched the ball, that goading of him as almost as if to say you are shit. I've never heard that before at a football was, match. Yeah. And I think that's why it's I think that's why it's picked up so much traction since. And there's been he probably wouldn't like to hear it, but there's been a lot of pity for him. I was saying to Tigo just before we come on today, I think he's made a little bit of a rod for his own back because he isn't getting enough minutes at Man United to get out of this hole that he's in that he's become a little bit of, I don't want to say a joke, but a meme or a bit of a running catastrophe of a player. And football's a fickle sport in a bad way, but it can be in a good way as well. So when you're in a position like him, if you go on an eight, nine, 10 game run of being really solid and playing really well, then all of a sudden people will forget about that and he'll be lauded as a good centre-back again and probably be accepted as one of England's first choice centre-backs. But he ain't going to get that at United. And fair enough, over the last couple of seasons, he's tried to win his place back. But I thought in the summer, it was very, very obvious with Eric Ten Hag, that he wasn't going to be getting those games. And it feels like he had a chance to go to West Ham and didn't. And I just think that was a bit of a mistake. Now, it might be that it was out of his control and fair play if it wasn't. But from the outside looking in, it feels like he had an opportunity to go and didn't. And now the only time he's really going to play is when United have got three or four injuries or when Gareth Southgate chucks him in at somewhere like Hamden Park. And then you saw what happened. So I do feel sorry for him, but I do think... You know, probably between Maguire and Gareth Southgate, they've made the problems themselves a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think with Maguire, um, I completely agree that he should have gone to, to West Ham in the summer if that was a viable move. Um, I, I think with Maguire, he was almost doomed from the minute Man United agreed 80 million with Leicester. And I know people have touched on this before. Van Dijk was 75, so suddenly he became the most expensive defender in the world. Van Dijk had those years at Liverpool where he was absolutely Rolls-Royce unbelievable. Maguire isn't that. He was never going to be that. Leicester didn't need to sell him, but United paid what they they needed to to get him in. Ever since then, he's been targeted about his performances. And I just wonder if United had paid £30 for him and he started for England. Can I jump in quickly? So we're forgetting though, aren't we, that... During that summer, City were in for him as well, and so was Pep Guardiola. Okay, yeah. you are right, and you are right in saying we overpaid for him. But basically, United have overpaid for every single player for the last ten years. Like so, and actually, I don't think Maguire started off badly at United. He had a couple of good seasons. Do you remember when he was injured for the Europa League final, and like all hell broke loose? We were like, "Well, we're not going to win it now because Maguire's injured," and we didn't win it anyway. But but he, it was basically 
Last season, he didn't play. The season before, he played every game and he was terrible, but so was United. It was... So... Yeah, what my what my point is, is that his fee is now used, isn't it? It's like, oh, Harry Maguire, an £80 million fridge, like, <laughs> which yeah. is it's yeah, terrible, yeah. I know. But, like, if he was 30 mil and he was fourth choice at United, but playing in Europe games or League Cup games and stuff like that, I don't think there'd be this level of scrutiny that he'd be getting. I don't think all of this social media campaign would have built up. I don't think he'd be getting the kind of ironic kind of, booze and then the pity sings from England fans that he's getting. I just think he'd be a run of a mill player who people sometimes would question maybe isn't good enough for England. But this is more a just a he was 80 mil. He's at the time, I'm not sure if he still is, was most expensive defender of all time. And he's nowhere near that. So that that's what I mean by he was doomed from that first minute. He did oh, start really well for United. Yeah, I do agree. I, in in some senses, especially with becoming like the most expensive defender on the planet, you're 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 making um sort of a, got a target on your back, aren't you? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Look, I think it's just a case of a player has lost his confidence and lost his form, and rather than being able to play through it, Eric Ten Eric Ten Hag came in, took him out of the team, and he's never been able to play through it. Whereas you get players who, who sort of like they 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 dip in form now and again and they play through it and then they come up come they come up they come on the other side and they're playing well again but he's just not give, been given that chance and Laura you are completely right and let's be honest he had that chance to go and play and for West Ham this summer and he's he seems to have not taken it we don't know the ins and outs of why that transfer collapsed whether it is his fault United's fault or West Ham's but um I don't know. It's a difficult one. My sort of hope as an England fan is that Carl Will continues to impress at Chelsea and he eventually becomes that sort of left-sided centre-half alongside Stones. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, what you've just said there is bang on. You're only as good as your last game. And Harry Maguire's last game always seems to be a calamitous one. But he's only getting one out of 20 fixtures. So, like you said, he's not being able to play through it and build his stock back up. And that's what he needs to leave. But just on centre-backs quickly, I thought Lewis Dunk was really impressive the other night. And I think, you know, looking forward to the Euros, especially I loved his quotes about Deserby. He said something about, like, I've learned how to play football all over again. And normally when you get a player... That I think that was his second cap that comes into the England team. You can tell they're not happy to be there, but they don't want to make mistakes. He looked really confident, commanded, and looked settled, I thought, at the back there. So if he carries on as has a really, really good season, um, he, I think he's going to be possibly, between him and Cole Will, I would, I would imagine at the moment, starting in the Euros next year. Yeah, he looks he was, really, really good. He was so good. And you know what he does for Brighton, where he, he sort of holds the ball and draws players into him? And then he plays through the lines, and that's exactly what he did against Scotland. And it's so valuable as a as a centre mid or a striker, where you're sort of receiving the ball with time and space because he's he's literally holding the ball, and then they draws the attackers in, and then boom, he plays. Oh, I was really impressed with him. Um, I think the last his last um, England cap was like five years ago or something. Yeah. And and you you are right. He's he's like a different player under deserve it. He's unreal. Right, boys, let, let's just finish this England segment here then. So I'm going to say there's one centre-back and one midfield position up for grabs for the Euros. Who is starting with Stones at centre-half and with 
Rice in midfield in the first group game? Well, for, if if I was manager, it'd be Colwell and probably KP at the minute. Laurie? Yeah. Um, I just want to say, really, really impressed with KP. He didn't play hardly in any games last season. He comes in and performs like that. So even if he has the same sort of season this year, maybe he can just do it. Maybe like England's his club and City's his international team because I think he's like started four and four for both in the last year. But I'm going to go KP as well, and yeah, probably Cole just because I I like the left foot yeah balance in the centre back position. Yeah, I love it as well. Yeah, yeah, Falaus, I'll agree with you there, but it wouldn't surprise me if it is Maguire. Um, come come the tournament but yeah I'm backing KP to be starting right boys Prem's back then thank god uh we'll start with a lunchtime kickoff on Saturday so Wolves host Liverpool uh Wolves obviously not got off to a great start but scored two at Palace um albeit losing and one at Everton however Liverpool got 10 points from four games Salah Diaz Nunes all scoring uh Loro see anything other than an away win there um this is my mindset with Liverpool at the minute, right? On one hand, they've had a really good start to the season and they've been playing difficult fixtures as well. Like they've had Villa, they've had Newcastle, they've had Chelsea. So you, you've got to praise them for that. But for some reason, I just feel like I'm waiting for them to hit a bump in the road because I don't have the same kind of faith in this team of Klopp's Liverpool of years gone by, of Salah, Mane, Firmino, Van Dijk in his pump at the back, that engine in midfield. So I guess they just need to do, or we need to see more of them, certainly from a neutral fan's perspective, to see them as real challenges again and think of a fixture away at Wolves as them just blowing them away, as I, I would have thought probably two or three years ago. So I think Liverpool will win, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Um, whether Wolves are the team to start that bump in the road and a bad run of form for Liverpool, I'm not sure. Because although I think Garen O'Neill's quite a decent manager has been quite impressive over the last year and Wolves haven't been too bad this season. They've only got three points and the reason they're not picking up points is the age-old one that they're not really scoring any goals. Um, and if they are scoring goals like they did at Palace, they're conceding three at the other end, which you can't do against the likes of Liverpool. So, yes, probably a Liverpool win, but not not a slam dunk, in my opinion. Tomo? Yeah, so for me, I obviously did a little bit of like stats research before before we come on the pod and Every stat that you read makes you think, yeah, Liverpool will win this. But for some reason, I've got a rogue prediction. I just think Wolves will win it, just sneak through. I think they're going to win 2-1. They And the reason is this. They won the fixture last year, 3-0. Um, Jose Sarr has made the most saves or the second most saves in the Premier League this season. So he's obviously in good form. Um and obviously, he'll be needed on Saturday. Um, they've got the most dribbles in the Premier League this season, most successful dribbles, Wolves. So, they'll be good on the counter-attack. Um, but other than that, I, I just got a feeling that Wolves will do it. Um, I agree with Loro, and the stats back, back him up in terms of Wolves' um, terrible um, finishing. Their shot accuracy is 27.4%, which is the 17th in the league, which is terrible, obviously. Um, and they last won consecutive matches against Liverpool um, in the 1981. So most most would sort of read those stats and go, yeah, Liverpool are going to win. But for some reason, I just think, I just fancy Wolves. Um, so I've gone 2-1 in my predictions. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go for a less sort of statistical approach, and I'll say Salah Diaz Nunes four <laughs> nil. I I don't really give Wolves much of a sniff there. They're terrible in front of goal. They've not been particularly misly at the back. Liverpool have made I think we said last time a sneakily good start. They got a couple of other tough fixtures to come uh, uh, in the upcoming game weeks, but they've started brilliantly. I think they're now kind of favourites to alongside Arsenal to be the main challenge to. City, uh, and I don't see them slipping up there at, at lunchtime. From an FPL point of view, got uh, Diaz in my team. Anything for you, boys? Um, no, I've I've actually taken out Trent in my wild card this week. I'm just fed up of spending that much money on him, and he's an injury doubt, isn't he? So I've taken him out. Um, I did want some Liverpool coverage, but Salah is too expensive to get, but. But yeah, obviously, you want Salah in your team, don't you, really? I've got Luis Diaz, but everyone seems to have him. I'm just so bored of looking at that crap team that I fielded in FPL. I think I'm going to bring the changes and probably um, take some minus points because I just hate looking at every single one of them. I just want them to get out of my sight. <laughs> right, boys, we'll move on then to uh, personally what I think is the, uh, the biggest fixture of the weekend, United at home to Brighton. Um, United are actually above evens at home against Brighton, which probably got to be a, a first in that fixture. Um, Tomo, some some news that's come out this afternoon though about Jaden Sancho. Yeah, so um, United have just announced that um, he is training away from the first team while that disciplinary issue um, is resolved, which basically means that what has what has him and Ten Hag been doing for ten days? If they've not I been able you, to resolve, resolve that I issue. what's happened is Jaden Sancho has had that Barney put that Twitter post and Instagram post up and then flew out to America to be at a birthday party of an NBA star alongside Wan-Bissaka. Now, for Aaron, that's absolutely fine. He's played, I think, pretty much every game for United this season. Um, isn't Obviously, isn't currently in the England setup, and I think he's looking at whether he can play elsewhere internationally. But for Jaden, that's pretty unforgivable for me. Just jetting off, I'd be in at Carrington that next day and trying to if, trying to win people over. Yeah, if it was me and I'd been called out by the manager on the Sunday for not training well enough, I would stick around Manchester and I'd be in the club, whether I'm doing my own fitness stuff, just keeping fit. Um, that's what I'd be doing. And actually, spoke to Laurie before the podcast about this. Um, you, I'll just side with Ten Hag on it. He, like The manager sets the standards of training. So if he comes out, whether or not it was the right or wrong thing to do and come out and do it publicly, given Sancho's um, sort of, I guess he's the type of player who needs an arm around the shoulder instead of sort of a public um, battering, but not a battering, but so, yeah. But obviously Ten Hag, it feels like that was Ten Hag's final straw. And yeah. like to come out publicly and say, look, he's not trained well enough. So that's why he's not playing. Um, and it feels like Sancho has come across terribly, in my opinion, since then. Um, the emotional statement, a little bit all over the place, in my opinion. And then to, to one, he one, he didn't take it down. Two, he pinned it. So he pinned it on his Twitter feed, which obviously meant he doubled down on it. And then eventually, I think a couple of days ago, he has deleted it um his head's all over the place obviously he's had some issues 
um, over the last 12 months or 18 months. So you sh I shouldn't really go too hard on him because obviously you don't, he is a human being after all. So there might be something going on that we don't all know about, but in terms of football only, you've got a side with Ten Hag with it. And I just, I think it's sort of like the beginning of the end, really, um, yeah. with Sancho. And Lauro, on to the fixture then. Um, obviously, United at home against Brighton, but Brighton got nine points from 12. Obviously, Evan Ferguson scored a hat-trick in the, the last game against Newcastle. What's your thoughts on that fixture? I think Brighton will win. I just I look, I looked at that. You'll be shocked to hear I looked at the odds on this game earlier, and United are favourites. They're like evens, and I think Brighton are two to one. I just think if that fixture was Team A against Team B, and then you looked at the stats, or I hate the stats, but the tra trajectory and travel and momentum of both clubs and the way that they're both playing, you'd have that down as a Brighton win. But because it's Man United against Brighton, um, money always comes for United and. Tigo did surprise me earlier, actually, and said the last time Man United lost at home was against Brighton in the Premier League, which was right at the... It might have even been the first game of last season. So, um, obviously, it's not a foregone conclusion that Brighton will win, but I think they will. But can I just say on the Jaden Sancho thing, just to stick up for him a little bit, Tigo summed it up there when he said, I'm siding with Ten Hag, or I think you need to side with Ten Hag. No one should be siding with anyone because no one should have any kind of insight into this. Ten Hag never had to bite at that question. And as soon as he did, he's opened up this massive can of worms. And what's Jaden Sancho done this week? He's been the bigger man and he's taken it down. And now, <laughs> now, it's, now it's coming out that he's training the reserves. No one needs to know that. I know Ten Hag's got standards. I know he dropped Rashford because he was 30 seconds late to a meal or something last year. That's fine. We don't need to know any about anything about that. You've opened this can of worms with your poor management against a young lad who's already lacking confidence. We've gone over this before, but I just wanted to stick up for Jaden a bit there because I think Ericsson Hags opened a can of worms he didn't need to. So well done, Eric. Good management. And I fancy you to get thumped <laughs> against Brighton at the weekend. Ah, right. Uh, Tomo, maybe uh, try and come in for a bit of a, uh, a United view then. Um, what's your thoughts on the, the game and where the result will, uh, will land? Well, I predict a Brighton win. Um, Great. Yeah, I know we've been unbeaten at Old Trafford since that Brighton defeat and the opening day of last season. Um, but Brighton have got a good record against United. They've won the last three in the league against us with an aggregate score of 7-1. Um, they top the table for um, in stats. I know you love these stats, Lauro. In goals, expected goals, shots, shots on target and shot accuracy. Um, they top the table for XG as well. So, yeah, basically, they look good. Um, I do predict goals because they have conceded quite a few chances, um, Brighton this year, and United have obviously made a few, conceded a few, but it just seems like it's going to be a tough couple of day uh, games for United with buying in the week. I think it's buying away in the week, um, and it's not been the best of international breaks like we're talking about with Sa this Sancho stuff. Obviously, Anthony's not at the club anymore. Um, albeit temporarily while he's dealing with these issues in Brazil. Um, I just, just Brighton look good, don't they? It's just, as a United fan, this is pretty, it's pretty depressing stuff, to be honest. <laughs> also with United, I, I wrote down, I tried to put together a bit of a team for United. I have no idea who's fit, who's available, who's playing where, who's considered for what position. I, I'm just looking here. You've got, 
Ahmad out injured, Kobe Mainu out injured, who maybe wouldn't be starting. But then you've got Malassia, Shaw, Varane, Antony's uh, obviously inactive. Uh, Amrabat's questionable. Lissandro Martinez is questionable. Mason Mount's questionable. So you look at that and you think, I couldn't tell you what the side's going to be. like. So let, let's take right wing as an example, Tomo. Who, who's United's right winger now? They're saying about, oh, Palestri should get some minutes. He's young and raw and got talent. Saying Garnacho might play out there, but he prefers from the left. Mason Mount, our centre midfield signing, could go out there. Our most creative player in 10, Bruno, will probably end up out there. Just just general thoughts on that? Yeah, that position's cursed, isn't it? Uh, that, yeah. That's basically cursed. But yeah, I, I do think for this game in particular, I think he'll play Bruno there and he'll shore up the midfield and play Casemiro, Eriksson and one other, whether that's Amrabat coming in straight away or McTominay. That's my prediction. But McTominay for Scotland, he plays that right wing, basically. I know it's sort of like a box midfield, but he plays forward. So maybe he does it. I, yeah, you, you're all right. You don't know, but sort of all over the place at the minute. And I'm, predict, I'm predicting a Brighton win um, a Saturday, isn't it? Saturday at 3pm. And then I'm predicting a Bayern win. So long for United really? fans. Yeah. Yeah, really great. Um, I think... On the McTominay point, I, I do genuinely think he might start this game. Amrabat, I know um, I know we've signed him to play in there with Casemiro, but he left the Morocco squad with injury, albeit a precaution. But he's not would have, wouldn't have trained too much of his new teammates. He wasn't playing at Fiorentina, was he? He was sort of training alone and not going along to games and stuff, trying to force through the United move. So I don't I'm not sure if he'll be ready for the weekend. So it might be McTominay does uh, get a chance in there alongside Ericsson. And I think you're right that Bruno will play out there. Um, I will go for a United win, uh, which is completely heart overhead, just to be a bit different to you two. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised if uh, Brighton went and picked up all three there. But what I will say for United, that will mean they've got six points out of five games with three losses against Arsenal, Spurs and Brighton, which would be a terrible start considering the dressing room and ownership unrest as well uh, before we kick off Champs League midweek. How depressing. Uh, right, so moving on. So Tottenham versus Sheffield United. So Spurs are currently in second and scoring goals for fun. Um, Sheffield, Sheffield United have got one point versus Everton. Uh, looks like a bit of a home banker for me. Uh, Lauro, any any suggestions on that one? No, I think you're right. It should be a home banker. The two interesting things to look out for is whether he's going to continue with Son um, up front like he did in the last game. He scored a hat-trick, so maybe you'd think he probably will. Or whether we'll have faith in Richarlison and bring it back in. Um, but I really like that the left-sided player they've got. Um, Man Solomon. Solomon. He was at Fulham, wasn't he, last year? He's really good. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him keep his space and zombie up front. And then also Brennan Johnson, who signed, I think, on deadline day for Spurs. It'd be interesting to see how he's used, how many minutes he gets and how he can kickstart his his uh, Tottenham career because there's a good player in there and hopefully he can excite the fans there even more and. Um, add another bow to Big Angie's already impressive career in terms of his um, recruitment. But I envisage a 3-0 win, and that's not to be disrespectful to Sheffield United. I think they've been all right this season. I thought they were going to be the weakest of the three teams that come up, and I actually think they've been the strongest so far. So fair play to them, but I would expect a, a comfortable victory for Big Angie's men. Tomo? Yeah, I completely agree. I've, I've gone 3-0 Spurs. I just think... I know Sheffield United actually beat Tottenham, didn't they, in the FA Cup fifth round last year. So there might be a little bit of 
needle between the, the sort of Spurs players who played that fixture last year. Obviously, want to get their own back or revenge or whatever you want to call it. But Sheffield United, oh, like, I know what you're saying, CL. I suppose it's not a, it's not a high bar, is it, being the best um, promoted side? Because Burnley and Luton have looked shocking as well. Because Sheffield United have got the worst XG in the Premier League. They've got the worst XG conceded. So that means they've conceded the most XG, which, I mean, I know you guys don't like stats. but okay, Just stop you right there, Tia. This is why I don't like that, right? So you've just... What you've just said is we've all we've expected Sheffield United to concede the most and score the least, but they're not bottom, right? So yeah. let's just forget about all of that because it's a load of rubbish. Yeah, right? yeah, you're but quite, you're quite right. They haven't been overly impressive, and they are the best of a. Uh, yeah, but right. Guys. So so let me just because obviously Stamman Tegal, let me just come come back at you quickly. So obviously worst XG in the Prem means that they've conceded the highest or, or the best quality chances to to an opponent, whether or not the opponents. Um, taking those chances is another thing. Obviously, so it's irrelevant. Well, yeah, but it means they're no. conceding high quality chances. So there is a, it means there is they've a got market. a good goalkeeper. Right, but anyway, anyway, l- listen. <laughs> I I predict that they they concede some high quality chances against Spurs, and um, I've doubled. But you wouldn't up. be able to tell us whether they go in or not. And I and I'm d- doubling up on. Um, Madison and Son um, in the FPL team. So, uh, yeah, I, I expect them to, to win easily. But, but yeah, stop coming for my stats, bruv. <laughs> yeah, there's a place in this pod for stats. Uh, and, I, don't yeah. mind stats I don't mind stats like possession or goals, but expected quality chances against. No, that's expected goals. It's just like, you just sound Nothing. like Tim Sherwood. <laughs> I'm not. What do you mean, Tim Sherwood? That you're. We're talking about fantasy, irrelevance, stuff that hasn't happened, stuff we might have thought would happen but didn't. No, we're talking about we're talking about trends of a football match, and 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 if a if a team is is conceding the most xG out of everyone in the Premier League, it means they're conceding high quality chances, which means if they continue on that trend, the chances will will clearly get taken more often than not. Boys, 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 there's two types of footy fans. You've got emotional and visual, Loro, and you've got statistical and robotic, Tomo. <laughs> and there's a place for both, all right? So less said on that, the better. Um, right, we'll finish that there then. I will come in and say Spurs will win that 5-0. Son and Madison Braces and Kulisevsky, who might be coming into my team to notch as well. Uh, moving on, West Ham versus Man City. So didn't expect to be saying this, but fourth versus first. Uh, West Ham have showed their blueprint of counter-attacking by beating Brighton. Um, probably rampant City to win again. Tomo, any any thoughts on that one? Um, well, I was going to reel, reel off some stats, but now Come I'm on, a bit nervous. Us. No. <laughs> Look, so West Ham have won their last three... Um, home games against and this is obviously going back to last season as well but against Man United, Leeds and Chelsea so got a bit of form um, in the league there Um, they've drawn two of their last three games against City at home but they did lose 2-0 last year I think it was the opening game of the season I think Haaland scored both on his Prem debut Um, and West Ham they haven't beaten City in the last 15 league games so and Moises, we all know about Moyes' record against the top clubs. It's not very good, is it? Um, I think away away from home is, is terrible, but they're obviously at home um, this weekend. I'll just predict City, comfortable win. 
Um, I know it's this sort of game that plays into Moyes' style, West Ham style, because obviously they'll sit back and try and hit them on the counter with um, with Bowen and Antonio, etc. But I just think City will be too much. I get what you're saying, Tigo, but West Ham have actually got the highest expected Loro points against Man City this season, <laughs> so I actually fancy them to win. Um, in all seriousness, I, 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 City can't keep winning every week, not after I've said I think this is the weakest they've been in a few years. And I think against a West Ham side who have got a lot of credit in the bank and can almost have a little bit of a free hit at it. I know David Moyes won't see it like that, but I actually quite fancy West Ham to get something at the weekend, and I'd absolutely... Love that to happen because, as we keep saying, it's just going to turn into a farmer's league. And the more wins that Man City get, the more talk there will be about, like, invincibles and stuff like that. And I don't want that to happen. And West Ham are in a good vein of form and their top players are playing well. Um, I saw a Gerd has been linked, I think, with Man City recently as well in the last couple of weeks. So he's obviously a player that um, is impressing and he's impressed me. Jared Bowen's at his best at the moment. Antonio seems to have found form again. And if they can get off to a good start at home and get the crowd on their side against City. Might might be one where we see City drop points. So I'm not going to bet on it, but I'm going to go West Ham 3-2. I hope you're, honestly, I hope you're right. Um, that's another one for me. That that fixture and Brighton Man United, both Saturday 3pms. Mm, both yeah. good games. I'm gutted I can't watch either of them. But yeah, um, I hope you're right, Laura, there, because like you say, it's sort of turning into a bit of a, What's the what's the word? Procession or concession? Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, so so hopefully you're right. Well, it's only been four games. Let's not get too carried away. Yeah. But I just think I'm hoping this is the one that stops the momentum for City. Yeah, and you know, City could have dropped points at Sheffield United, albeit a, a late chance squandered and late goal conceded from Sheffield United. Newcastle looked okay at the Etihad as well, so they're not looking invincible, City. But I'm sure that. Uh, I'm sure that come half five on Saturday, they'll they'll be on to 15 points from five games. The only thing I would say is De Bruyne out, Grealish, Kovacic and Stones all questionable for that one. West Ham seems to have a uh, clean bill of health. So um, hopefully they can get something there and, and spice the league up a bit. Boys, we'll move on. Uh, Newcastle versus Brentford. And actually, I think an important one for Eddie Howe. Um, they do have a good run of fixtures coming up, but probably not made the start that they were envisaging. Um, Brentford have been... Obviously mixed, but but looking good and scoring some goals. Uh, Lauro, thoughts on that one? I, ha- I I hate to say this, and I hate to th- this is even a thing, but there is already. I've heard it like on the it was again it was on Talksport today. I've seen it on Twitter a little bit as well. Like this is like a huge game for Eddie Howe now, mm. an absolutely massive game that uh, like a narrative is starting to build. Even if he's like he's not going to get sacked if he loses against Brentford, but suddenly if you lose to Brentford at home. Um, Every single game is going to start looking harder and harder, particularly with the Champions League coming in. So I, I think Newcastle will win. I think it's one where we want them to, as a neutral. I want to see them stand up and go, right, no, we are a good team. We are a top four, top five type Premier League team. And we brush teams like Brentford aside. I'm not quite sure Brentford are the, the team you choose to have a game like that, though. They're a tricky wicket, aren't they? That are well managed and you never know really what you're going to get from them other than blood and thunder and surprising results. They always seem to pick up points when you'd say they were the B side of the card, so to speak. So huge game for Newcastle. It It is a big game for Eddie Howe, but it shouldn't be. And I think it will also be interested to see if Callum Wilson gets a start because he came off the bench, didn't he, against Brighton and, 
and scored. And I don't think he started a game this year yet with Champions League coming. Mighty West Isaac, mighty bring Wilson in, mighty play both. Um, looking forward to watching that game. Two good sides. And hopefully for Eddie Howe's, um, from an Eddie Howe point of view, it'll be three points for Newcastle. Yeah. Do you know he got he got the dreaded uh, vote of confidence, didn't he, but from the chairman, from the Saudi chairman this week. I don't know whether he was asked a, a specific question about Howe's future by a journalist or something, but he basically said that um, we're not thinking about, we, we totally back Eddie Howe and we're not thinking about changing manager. And I just thought, well, yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, but look, I think Newcastle have got a good good recent record against Brentford. And obviously, I think they've won the last three against Brentford. And it's at home. Um, I don't predict it being a great game, if I'm, all, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, just for the simple fact that Eddie Howe and Newcastle just need, need the, the result. Um, but Mbuemo's in great form, isn't he? I think he scored eight in his last 10 Prem games. Um, a great little FPL pick, isn't he? Because he's playing up front at the minute and he's in midfield on FPL. I'm predicting a draw, a score draw, but um, I don't really predict a great game. I think that's the, that's the 5.30 game, isn't it, on, on TV? So we'll see, but... Yeah, I I completely agree with what Laurie said on the, the Eddie Howe situation, how big game it is. I've said on previous comms that I can see Newcastle um, making a rash decision with Howe, but he's now lost three in a row goes into this game against Brentford. The players are maybe already thinking about their Champs League debut in Milan midweek. Suddenly, if they lost that as well alongside Brentford and they've lost five in a row, that could be a real, real issue for Newcastle uh, and Freddie Howe. Tomo? Well, so the only thing I will say about that, sort of, we, we are... The narrative around maybe they're going to make a rash decision around Eddie Howe might be because these new owners have got lofty ambitions and stuff. But actually... They've the way they've sort of bought in the transfer market um, has been quite steady. Um, they have spent big on your Tenales and Isaks, but they've got they've they've not really got a like a you know when Man City went and got Robinho, they've not got someone like that, have they? So I actually think the the, the ownership are a lot cleverer than we give them credit for, and I don't think inside the club there's that much pressure on him. And I hope we are all right in that respect. So even if they do lose the next couple, I think he'll be fine. Um, but but yeah, it, like it's just one of those media things. Like I know you, you I think you you re referred um, talk sport. Like, I was listening. I think it was Jim White, right? He just he loves stirring the pot and yeah. likes likes asking the questions. Um, and I think because of the Saudi ownership, I do think quite a lot of people have got their sort of knives out, just hoping it goes wrong just be just for the simple fact that they don't like a state owned club. Um, that's, but I, yeah, I don't think he's in an, any, he's under any sort of pressure um, from within the club. No. And to be fair, we say they've lost three in a row, but it's Man City, Liverpool and Brighton. Yeah. But that can happen, can't it? So, yeah, but I just think, I, I know it's Brentford tomorrow and I don't know what the fixtures are after that. Murph said it's quite a decent run. I do think he'll be under pressure if he starts losing those games as well, though. If we're another three Premier League games in and he's got one or two more points, I do think any... Forget Saudi. I think any manager of a, a team that finished in the top four last season would start to yeah. come under pressure. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, yeah. So, but hopefully that doesn't happen. We're we're sort of preempting that. They might just go and blast Brentford away tomorrow, like they did Villa, and we're like, well, what a team again. Hopefully uh, that happens. And the only and really the re- the reality of those three games are all three losses. Yes, one bad performance, Brighton. The two, yeah. like it was a it was a bad ten minutes against Liverpool, and we all thought fine margins should have won that game really. And then the, the Man City game, you can lose one nil to Man City. And they, like Murph said, they acquitted themselves well. So, okay, three losses in a row, bad. But the performances haven't been that bad. Obviously, the Brighton one was a worry. But so, yeah, we'll see how they go. Yeah, well, yeah, we will. We'll see. Um, Laurie, you just touched on their fixtures. They go to Sheffield United. Uh, then they have Burnley at home, then go to West Ham, then have Crystal Palace at home, then go to Wolves in their next five Prem games. So they're games that really they should be targeting, you know, at least 10 points from those five games, if not closer to, to 12 to 15. Um, as I say, the only thing to caveat that with is that they have got uh, Milan, PSG and Dortmund in the Champs League within that time. They also host Man City in the EFL Cup, which I know not everyone's a fan of, but is it will be a big game up there. So um, it's just whether, and that's, I guess, where you need a big squad, but whether the players sort of eyes start to turn to those games as opposed to the bread and butter of the Prem. And the point that I, was, I try and make about the expectations of the board is now that they're a top four club with Champions League revenue coming in, that will probably be the expectation now. And you've got Tottenham who've improved, Liverpool who've improved after blips. United are always obviously going to be about there. And then it looks like City, Arsenal are bankers each year. Add Chelsea in, who obviously not started great, but are spending money. Suddenly, Brighton are a good side as well. That suddenly sort of seven eight teams vying for the top four and that's where I think the board might become a bit impatient with Eddie Howe and yeah, the only problem. the only other problem is with Newcastle you just said about their fixtures in the Premier League there like they've got Sheffield United Wolves Burnley these are teams that are going to start needing points soon as well like the first few games of the season it's almost not free hits but teams are feeling each other out you start to get a, um, a feel for who's good and who's who's not but every with every game that pack like Burnley are going to need a win soon do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sheffield United are going to need a win. Wolves are going to need a win. Um, and they all might end up beating Newcastle. And Eddie Howe, I'm sorry, you're doomed. I think you're gone. <laughs> and also, another thing to add to that is most of those fixtures will be um, the weekend following a Champions League game. And, yeah, like a horrible Sunday. Yeah, well, yeah. And it'll be like, well, our pre, I think our Premier League predictions were that Newcastle might struggle in the league because of those sort of games after Europe where you're on a bit of a come down and like you say, your Burnley, Sheffield United are, are fighting for their lives. So, yeah, Eddie Howe's gone. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Eddie Howe, but uh, yeah, it's not looking good, Brev. Uh, boys, we'll move on. So Everton versus Arsenal, 18th versus 5th, albeit joint second on points, Arsenal. Um, we touched on the United game and, and how big a win that was for Arteta before international break. Uh, however, Everton won this fixture last February 1-0 with a James Tarkovsky uh, goal, which I think was the start of Arsenal's uh, league wobble, actually. And I've spoken to a couple of Arsenal fans who just don't like the look of that game at half four on a Sunday uh, away at Everton. Tomo, thoughts on that one? Yeah, I fancy Everton. I don't know why. That, Like you say, that game last year... Um, where Tarkovsky scored the winner. They also, I think they beat Arsenal the previous season at Goodison as well. So it's just something about Goodison that Arsenal don't like. Um, so I think Sean Dyche and Everton will sort of shithouse their way to a win there um, for no other reason than just 
like the Premier League peak Barclays kind of vibes, basically, because from if you watch both teams at the start of this, I know Arsenal haven't been at their free flowing best, but like you said, the joint seconds on points um, managed to get the win against United. Great win in the end. Um, they beat Palace with 10 men. Um, so, yeah, look, you'd expect Arsenal to win, but for some reason, I just think Everton will get will get the, the sort of shithouse win. One near one going again. Laurie? Just a complete load of waffle. Uh, Everton are really, really bad. And yeah. Arsenal were really, really good. And you're right. It was the sort of start of the downfall for Arsenal last year. But that game where they won last year, I think, was also Sean Dyche's first game. And sometimes you get that manager bounce, don't you, when they first come in and they sort of galvanise the place and everyone's excited and it's a new start. They haven't got that this year. They've used that one up last year. And it sounds like they used it up the year before as well. Yeah, but they've there got... Gone. They've got the Beto bounce this year. Yeah, they do Beto, have well, Beto. He, the Beto bounce. Well, he Beto starts scoring because <laughs> I'm not being funny boys. They are they are absolutely <laughs> atrocious, and they're coming up against one of the best sides in Europe. And Tegal has just predicted Everton to win based on literally, literally nothing. Well, so I'm no. going. I'm going <laughs> Arsenal route, and I'm. This is the most confident I've been in a fixture in the Premier League this year. I don't care if it's at Goodison Park, Baddison Park, wherever you want to play it, it's going to be 4 0 Arsenal and Sean Dyche under even more pressure. Well, I am probably going to side with Tomo on this. I think that the Beto bounce might come through. Uh, I don't think, I think Arsenal have been close to losing a couple games this year. Um, and yeah, I think you saw what Beto was all about at the keep mode against Doncaster. I heard his performance. <laughs> I heard his performance at Bramall Lane described as lively, and I fancy him to notch the winner in a one-nil win against Arsenal. Um, and yeah, I think that that will be the way that Super Sunday's rounded off with Dyche arms aloft or arm in arm with Beto celebrating the first of uh, many wins with Beto notching. Um, so yeah. Two Everton wins there and an Arsenal route. So uh, mixed reviews, but uh, we will see with that one. Boys, we'll just touch on the rest of the Premier League action. So Bournemouth versus Chelsea. Um, I think Bournemouth on two points, Chelsea on four. Neither club made the start that that they'd have wanted to. But I think quite a uh, a much needed win there for Chelsea and for Pochettino. Um if they can go and win away there. Monday night football is Forest versus Burnley. Again, Burnley absolutely desperate for a win, but Forest have obviously got um, Womney up front, who's a cheat code, and Tomo's boy Morgan Gibbs-White. Villa host Palace. So, yeah, Villa picked up a couple of decent results. Now Palace have two interested in that game. Um, I've actually brought Diaby into my fantasy football to go alongside Ollie Watkins, who I cannot stress enough. He's on his last chance in my FPL side, but he's got to start scoring soon. And it's almost one of them where I know when I take him out, he's going to score. So I'm just sat there with him in there. But you're (laughs) really, really on thin ice, Ollie, if you're listening. Uh, And then probably the worst game of the weekend, Fulham at home to Luton. Um, Luton, obviously desperate for a win as well, but but Fulham uh, should go on and win that, but aren't looking particularly great themselves either. We'll move on to the championship. Laura, I'll come to to you on this one because uh, midday on Sunday, uh, I believe Leeds go to Millwall. Now, I think 
Leeds had a massive result, didn't they, uh, at Ipswich? And then you predicted an absolute rout against Sheffield Wednesday, which didn't materialise. But what's your thoughts about what looks a tricky fixture at Millwall? I don't think that looks a tricky fixture. I think this is the start now for Leeds and Farker. We've got the first month of the season out of the way. I won't say it all just again and take the mick out of our manager because this is the time of the season that we need to kick on and put that run together. Um, Leicester and Southampton, someone's going to take points off each other in that fixture on Friday night. And I think Leeds are going to go to the den and make a bit of a statement. Um, I'm not saying it's tricky, not a tricky fixture because I don't think Millwall are very good, but I think we're an elite, elite side now in the Championship. And I think this should be the start of a run of games where we pick up an awful lot of points and hopefully score an awful lot of goals as well. And I'm looking at Joel Pirro to come up and score a hat-trick of the den on Sunday. So looking forward to watching it. It's on Sky. Um, be interesting to see who plays all over the park. Is he going to stick with Aylin or will Jed Spence come in? Will Pirro remain in that 10 position or will they stick him up, up top and bring someone else in behind him? Um, really looking forward to it, expecting goals, expecting a win for Leeds United and hopefully, like I said, to kickstart some good momentum going forward into the season. Yeah, if if Leeds win that, you're like I've I've heard murmurs and rumours of uh, the pressures of um, the pressure building on Gary Rowett at um, Millwall for some reason. I know he did well, last year, did it? Did they get into the playoffs or just miss out, or was it just missed out on the last day? Yeah, um, and I know there's been calls for him from the Millwall fans to to get the boot, which I was surprised to hear, to be honest. And obviously, if they if they lose at home to to dirty Leeds, the pressure might start to build even more. Yeah, I didn't realise you were so in tune with the Millwall fan base and everything that goes on at the Den. But yeah, I'd be quite surprised at that. I think they're sat in like mid-table at the moment, aren't they? And like Millwall to just miss out on the playoffs. Again, no disrespect. I wouldn't, they shouldn't, I wouldn't expect them to be up and around the upper echelons of that league. So he's obviously been doing a good job there. And sometimes managers can just come under pressure because people get bored. And it's more of just like a, they're ready for the next cycle and it to be freshened up a little bit. And maybe that's what he's fallen victim of. Um but if he is under pressure, I feel sorry for him because I think he's going to get a drumming on Sunday. Yeah, I think it's more the style of play um, that they're not yeah. happy with. Um, and like you say, that that comes into the whole board, the board situation and and whether or not um, sort of a new manager, they just like want the new manager bounce. It's almost like a little microcosm of 2023 society. You just want new things all the time. And, yeah. yeah, just yeah. an endless cycle of bringing a new manager in every three games where you get the new <laughs> manager bounce. You go through 12 of them, but go have an invincible season. Nice this idea. is the danger. This is the danger. I've said this before. The, I think a manager in the championship is more important than any other league. And it's really, really difficult to find good ones, particularly good ones that can have a little bit of longevity. So you can sack Gary Rower and bring, I don't know, um, Lamucci in that... Or Labucci, whatever his name was, that got sacked at Cardiff at the end of the season, and you might win a couple of games, and you might, you know, play a little bit of ticker tack or a little bit of uh, Genga press or whatever the modern thing is now. But all of a sudden, you find yourself at the bottom of the table, and you think, "Oh, hang on a minute, why do we sack Rowett, who almost got us into the playoffs, and Millwall, a couple of games away from the Premier League last year?" So, uh, if you're listening, owners at Millwall, I'd stick by your man. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll we'll look out for Leeds' result there. Uh, Laurie, you touched on it, but I think Southampton post Leicester on Friday night football, which obviously last year would have been a uh, Prem fixture. It's third v seventh here. Uh, Leicester on 12 points, one point behind Preston um, and Southampton on 10 points, sort of just outside the playoffs. That looks like quite a big fixture already for both those sides. 
I think it's a massive fixture for Russell Martin as well. I said at the start of the season, I think there will come a time early on where he's going to have to ride out some pressure, some poor results, and it's going to be, can he implement his style and win in football quick enough before he gets sacked? Because time is not a um, an easy commodity to get when you're a football manager. And I just think they lost 5-0 to Sunderland in the last game. They've had two weeks off. Now they've got to go and play Leicester. I just feel, I think like this could be the start of the end at Southampton already for Russell Martin. And I don't, I don't mean that um, disrespectfully. Do you know what's mental about that though, is that obviously if they go and win that, they're above Leicester. And we're... Yeah. I mean, I think they've, they've pretty much won every other game to be fair. So maybe I'm being harsh, but I just feel like this might be, they lost 5-0 to Sunderland. If they get beat handsomely against Leicester, suddenly their next fixture will look really tough, whoever that's against. And then it can start snowballing. I don't want that to happen. Um, I like the Saints, they're a good football club. I'd like to see them back in the Premier League, but I, I've just got a feeling something like that might be afoot. Do you know? Do you know what we- a weird thing about that sort of fixture? A little wor- weird quirk, I think, because it's gonna—it's like a bit of a swing fixture because obviously Leicester lost <clears throat> um, at home to Hull last match, didn't they? And we've spoke about them. Obviously, they won their previous four, the first games of the season, but they've not looked convincing. And I've just had a look at the table there. They've only scored seven in five games. So something's not quite, even though they're winning the game, something's not quite clicking sort of in the attacking areas. <clears throat> so if they go and lose, all of a sudden it's like, well, are Leicester and our, is Maraska under pressure? Which is mental to say, because they've obviously, they won their first four games. But it's one of those swing fixtures that if... Leicester win, okay, great start to the season. If if Southampton win, it's like a bit of pressure. Yeah, sliding doors moments, isn't it, with games like that? And, you know, it, it could potentially be a catalyst for Russell Martin to go on and put a run of fixtures together. But as Lauro says, could be beginning of the end after a a big, big loss at, at Sunderland to go and lose again and, and just drop a few more points. You know, already the fans will start to be thinking, is this the right person to to take us forward? The point with Russell Martin is, though, is that I'm not trying to dig him out, but he's formed a very, very good managerial reputation based on possession football, right? But he hasn't actually done much. Like, he didn't get MK Dons promoted in League One, and he didn't get Swansea anywhere near, or he didn't get them into the playoffs in the championship. So I think the question mark over his head is, can you go that next step and actually do something? And when you couple that with Southampton, who have got, in the top three squads in the league and every yeah. all the expectations on you, how much patience and how much trust are the board and the club going to have with you? And that's my worry with him. And when you get beat five at Sunderland and then you go into Leicester and then so on, so on, that's what I'm saying. I think he's a good manager, but sometimes possession can be um, a little bit fooling and it can be 20 passes between your goalkeeper and your centre-halves rather than actually attacking football in... Um, getting results from it. I'm not saying that's happening. That's just my worry for him, just to summarise my my feelings towards it. It's no disrespect. It's just a feeling I've got when I saw that managerial appointment in the summer. And just a quick one on that, because I'm I'm now getting quite excited about this game. My missus <laughs> messaged me earlier today, um, iron up a movie night tomorrow before the Prem returns, obviously. And um, I've had, I'm going to have to sack her off, I think, because that's a Friday night game, in it On Sky, we'll have to watch that now. Just just do what I say, mate. Just start the film and then as soon as you've fallen asleep, turn over to footy. It's a constant battle when there's Friday night footy on at my house. <laughs> um, boys, right, we'll move on. Quick 
quick little look ahead to, to League One and League Two. So League One, first place Stevenage uh, host Charlton and second place Bolton go to Reading. Uh, fixture of the weekend there looks to be Derby versus Portsmouth. I know we seem to say this every week, but looks like an important one for Paul Warren to, uh, to get all three in. But he seems to be struggling in every single game that he has. <laughs> always seems to be. Yeah, Paul Warren could do with all three here. <laughs> But he's always name checked as well. He's yeah, always yeah. We, we don't mention any other League One manager. Sorry, Paul. It's just because we know him from Yeovil. Yeah, yeah. He cost me a fair few fivers as well, betting on score first at 11 to 1 back in the day. But uh, there we go. So, yeah, please, Paul, get all three because otherwise I'll have to learn the new Derby manager's name. Uh, and then League League Two. So, first place, Gillingham host Morecambe, who are in 14th. Um, Friday night football, actually, alongside Southampton, uh, Leicester, is Notts County uh, going to Salford. Salford haven't started great. They're in 18th and Notts County a second. But interesting that that's a Friday night game. So, my, if that's on TV, just flicker between that and the... Uh, the Saints-Leicester game, and then third place Mansfielder at Colchester at 20th, who will be looking to win that fixture as well. Uh, Laura, we'll move on to Yeovil. So I think last time we did the pod was last Monday, and we were a day out from going to a trip out to Western Supermare. Uh, Yeovil have had two games since then, and have won both in uh, five goal thrillers. So just talk us through them. Yeah, they won both 3-2. Uh, Western Supermare away. Um, for the first time this season, or for the first time in ages, we went 2-0 up early on, much to the delight of the travelling, 850 travelling fans, I think, to the stadium that night, which was nice to see. And you just thought, oh, is this finally the game that we get that sort of walk in the park and we go and thump someone? But no, took the foot off the gas a little bit, allowed them back into the game, went 2-1, then we went 3-1 up, and then they scored a goal in the last minute, and there was some nervy extra time, but... Thankfully, it was all about getting the win that game because we haven't won away, I think, since like February or something when we beat Dagenham in the conference. So nice to get away three points. And then in the scorching, scorching heat on Saturday, we uh, we turned over Eastbourne Borough, who are probably the best footballing team I've seen at this level so far um, watching Yeovil this season. And they, they're probably feeling quite unlucky not to come away with anything. But old cliche, sign of a good team, isn't it, that you can uh, you win games when you're not possibly playing your best and I'm, I'm actually getting a little bit excited for Yeovil because I feel like a lot we're sit three points off top and I think a lot of the other teams above us like your Baths and your Tauntons and even like your Worthings I think they're having like their purple patch already and we're up with them and we've not really got going yet um, so my prediction of Yeovil winning the league certainly hasn't changed if anything it's got stronger um, what did you make of that you went to Western away didn't you what did you make of the football Murph? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of negativity with, with Yeovil fans about the style of play and things like that. But I think if you offered most fan bases sort of averaging two, three goals a game and winning more games than than you're losing and drawing, I really can't see the issue there. Um, some of the, the big names are starting to score goals. Some of the lesser names that we thought maybe wouldn't be involved, like Jordan Young, are now playing really well. Uh, Josh Owers played really well. Um, so I I can't really see what the issue is with the fan base about the style of football. I don't know what style of football they want to go to, which scoring is, is better than scoring three goals and winning games. Tomo, just a quick one. I was I was gonna like it feels like um, the relegation last season was like the best thing that could have happened to Yeovil, and it's like the age old question in it of like you sort of yo yo clubs like Sheffield United, your Burnleys, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Would you rather be in the championship a level below, or in, in Yeovil's case, the National South, a level below 
where you're winning games, you're playing good football and you boys, you go into the games and you're enjoying it as opposed to when you went there last year in the conference and it was obviously terrible. Do you think this is sort of like a classic case of getting relegated? I know we've been relegated quite a lot recently, Yeovil, but is it a classic case of Yeovil, the relegation was the best thing that could have happened to, to us or? No. Like I know exactly, I know exactly what you're saying. Like sometimes you just you'd rather be winning games, but that's all right if we got relegated from League One to League Two, and then we started winning games and we were winning that league. But the Nationals leagues, the national, yeah, national league self is an absolutely ridiculous level for you able to be playing at. The reason that the change in fortunes and the complete atmosphere shift has been because we had an absolute cretin rodent of an owner that was trying to you know, relinquish the club of all of its history and the fans of the club basically and turn it into a housing estate has gone and we've been bought out by a local businessman that has a lot more heart and passion towards the football club and is pumping some money into it and buying some good players and got a good manager and made its stadium improvements, made the match day experience a lot better. And that's what the crest of the wave, I think, that we're riding at the moment. And like, like Murph said, there's been a little bit of negativity around the some of the football we've played, but I just think that's because we're in the National League South and people are thinking, why aren't we winning 6-7-0 and seven nil every week? We've scored the second most goals in the league and with three points off top and we haven't really got going yet. These are all good signs. But of course, after nine games, every single game, you know, if you draw a game after six, suddenly the weight that's on that is massive. Whereas if we were five points clear at the top and we draw again in this in December. No one's calling for the manager then. So I just, I would call for patience. Yeah. Um, Murph, actually, I wanted to ask you a question because I know our, it's the FA Cup qualifier in it this weekend and we're playing Stoneham at Hewish Park and Stoneham are in your league, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. We've actually got them on, uh, on Saturday. So I'll be uh, reaching out to Josh Staunton and Mark Cooper for, for any tips for, for our midweek battle. But uh yeah, Stoneham are one of the few teams left in our league, I think, in the FA Cup. Uh, you, we had like the extra preliminary round, preliminary round. Um, we actually went out to a club managed by Rowan Vine. A few boys have done his under the cosh. You'll know he's yeah. a bit of a nutter. He managed the side <laughs> that we went out to, uh, but obviously I was injured, so, so didn't travel. Um, Stoneham are going to be right up there in our league, got a really big budget for the standard that, that we play, um, albeit it's three divisions below Yeovil. So I think that Cooper might use that as an opportunity to give a few players some minutes who maybe don't start. But at the same time, I think Cooper's come out and said it's a bit of a lose-lose for Yeovil, isn't it? You're expected to thrash aside three divisions below you when you're already in regional football but they're going to be so up for it. And you'll find that players drop down and play the level that Stoneham are at because the money's money's so good alongside having a, a part-time job. Um, and some of the the funds that get chucked at it at that standard is just yeah. ridiculous. So um, I don't think that's an absolute foregone conclusion, but I'm obviously not able to go because I'll be playing myself, but I'll be really interested to hear Lauro's thoughts about what a team at, at my standards like when coming up against kind of a fully fit Yeovil side. Um now that they've kind of through pre-season starting to pick up some results. So, yeah, obviously want Yeovil to win, but um, be a... But Murph, put, put yourself in, obviously, Stoneham in your league. I know it's a little bit different because it's your local club, but how would you be feeling? Because they're at your level, so these guys are similar similar kind of footballers to you. If you were playing at Hewish Park on Saturday, are you excited now? Are you nervous? Yeah, are you yeah I think so. Yourself? 
I think so, yeah. I mean, obviously, I've already been and won at Hewish Park in the High Holborn final. And as you saw, <laughs> I hit the bar from the halfway line, but don't need to talk about that. Um, but no, I mean, with Yeovil, it's obviously a local side, but at that level, they're a, a huge club. They're almost like, you know, a football league side. So so I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an equivalent of someone in there. If we were playing down at Torquay, as an example, um, if Sherbourne were down there, I just can't picture how buzzing you'd be they'd be training this week they've probably had a fixture since they found out and been not wanting to get injured they're probably all pesting the manager like hell as well just messaging him seeing how his week's going and stuff like that because you'd be absolutely gutted to not be in the start and 11 or squad but I guess it's a complete free hit for them they've got they'll have some really decent players um and they'll just be thinking to themselves chance to go and play in front of a, a crowd of, of probably a couple of thousand um, as say complete free hit I just think they'll be absolutely buzzing and they must just be so looking forward to um, to giving an account of himself on Saturday so yeah I'm very jealous of that um, I'll be down in Brockenhurst instead in the New Forest trying to get all three but there we go uh, but yeah so good good luck to uh, to Stoneham but obviously want the uh, Glovers to, to progress in the cup there boys we'll finish with uh, as I say everyone's favourite podcast feature which is Spin the Wheel So uh, round two, Tomo, you got eight points for Brian and Buemo. Uh, Lauro, you picked up seven points for James Madison. Uh, I got a paltry two points for Raheem Sterling. Uh, so Lauro, you topped the table now on 10 points. Tomo, you're on uh, eight points and I'm on three. Um, I've spanned the wheel already and it's defenders this week. So I'm going to go first, sit in bottom and then come to Tomo, who's hopefully given it a bit of attention this week uh, and then Lauro will finish with you um, I'm going to go for a Spurs defender uh, who's in my fantasy team uh, you doggy uh, I think it's destiny uh, clean sheet and assist for him I think uh, home to Sheffield United we've spoken about the fixture already I fancy Spurs to win 4-5-0 uh, I think the forwards will all be in on the act but hoping that he can uh, be overlapping get a couple crossing and get an assist and then the clean sheet for hopefully a double figure haul. So that's where I'm going to go. Uh, Tomo, you can have any defender, but obviously not Brentford. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go for a defender who had an absolute stinker in the last game week. And that is Matty Cash. Um, he conceded free and obviously scored one of the, um, one of those goals. So yeah, he had a stinker, but he's at home to Palace this week. Um, Villa have only played, had only had one home game this season so far, and they played Everton and they won 4 0. And I think, um, well, he obviously got the clean sheet there and he's obviously scored a couple already. So I just think he'll get a clean sheet and, and he'll get a brace. So that's cool. why I'm picking him. Solid. Lauro? I'm going to go for a gentleman that goes by the name of Trent Alexander Arnold. Okay. Um, reason being is he's always the top got scoring defender on fantasy football has been for the last four or five years. So it's a no brainer. I'm surprised no one else has picked them up. No, fair enough. I can't see any issues with that. I'd heard a couple of fitness issues that he's questionable with the muscle injury, which is why me and Tomo didn't look there, but you can take that gamble. <laughs> right, boys, that's all we got time for. We'll wrap up there. Uh, we'll be back on Monday where we'll review all of the uh, weekend's action and look ahead to the start of the European campaigns for the top English sides. Cheers all. Cheers. One, two, three.